0: I know you're familiar with the phrases religious liberty and religious freedom, but what do we actually mean by them? We get the ideas of liberty and freedom, well, well, sort of, at least we think we do. And for the most part, we think we know what religious means. So why do we have such wildly different ideas about what all of this stuff means? I've discussed the trouble we have with understanding freedom in previous episodes, so maybe it's time to talk about what we actually mean by religion. Hi, I'm Drew Downs, and this is Make Saints. There are really two working definitions of religion that we all draw on. One is the more technical one, used by organizations, governments, churches, academics, pretty much anybody that wants to get this junk right. Religions are systems of belief and the organized people who practice them. So a religious tradition can be described by its common sets of belief. But religions themselves are embodied by the people. So a religion is established, embodied, and common among people. The other working definition of religion is like vibes. right? Not as in vibes as a form of religion. No, I mean, whatever someone's vibes decides religion is. So... Like, people, and I'm thinking even Supreme Court justices, think a sincerely held belief counts as religion. But really, only in the court cases that they like. They don't think a pot church represents a religious institution, for instance, but think a craft store does. So, on the one hand, we have a working definition most of us use, and another that some of us use to their advantage. So, guess what this means for freedom? Now, in recent years, the idea of religious freedom turned from something we all, more or less, agreed on to something few of us do. Now, back in the 1980s, a wide variety of Christian denominations worked with groups from other religions to support the original Religious Freedom Restoration Act, known as RFRA. This came about over the concern in a particular court case against a Native American group and the use of the peace pipe. They saw the curtailing of religious and cultural practice of Native Americans as potentially harmful to all religious groups. So they worked together to find a way to protect all religions from undue restrictions. 30 years later, evangelical Christians sought to reframe that earlier conversation to support their vision of religious freedom without the support of most other Christians, let alone anyone else. What was different in the second round of Rifra cases and at the federal and state levels in the 2000s and 2010s was that pursuit of evangelical Christians was not so much religious freedom, but unlimited liberty for a certain religious tradition. They specifically wanted to elevate the liberty of white evangelical Protestants with conservative politics above the rights of others. Even as many Roman Catholics have signed on to these pursuits, we must recognize that this isn't the unfettered liberty of all religions or even all Christians. It is the elevation of certain Christians' that agree with them. Now the many cases before the Supreme Court have shown this similar character over the recent years. In the Hobby Lobby case, the court suggested that they were protecting the religious liberty of the employer to not provide health care to their employees. But they restricted the liberty of the employees seeking health care they could get anywhere else. In several cases involving shop owners unwilling to sell to certain groups, the court sought to protect the religious liberty of the owner to discriminate. But they restricted the religious liberty of, say, a couple to live into their sacramental life together. And in a recent example, the Supreme Court sought to protect the religious liberty of a high school football coach to publicly pray with his team after a game. But the religious liberty of the players, coaches, and families were not even respected in the court's decision. They were deemed irrelevant. As I described in an earlier episode about freedom, the fundamental principle of freedom is that it only exists in concert with everything else. Like, your freedom is always dependent on the freedom of your neighbors. Always. The equation goes like this. Freedom equals liberty plus equality. Now, the most famous description of freedom is attributed to Oliver Wendell Holmes and amounts to the idea that your right to swing your fist ends where my nose begins. It's a way of saying you have a ton of of personal liberty to do so much stuff, but when that liberty starts running into other people's liberty, then you found the limits of your liberty. What all of this talk of religious liberty and religious freedom is doing is that it is trying to argue that the First Amendment allows for no limits on anyone's religious liberty, which, okay, sounds great, until other people start to get hurt. But they're saying, no, 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 that's not enough. You can't limit their religious liberty, ever. But when people literally argued that their religious liberty was being restricted by Hobby Lobby or a football coach, they were like, right? Nonsense, doesn't count. The unfettered liberty of some is not the classic definition of freedom, nor is it one that can be recognized by most people, right? Because we can look at this stuff and we see that the whole thing feels off. Now, of course, we can see how they got there, right? And it really does seem like a conundrum, right? We want religious freedom. We also want everyone to have it. This is why we need to recognize the fundamental difference between maximal liberty and maximal freedom. We all have the most freedom when we all have as much liberty as possible. Every one of us. This is why we're getting tangled up in our understanding because maximal freedom requires that we balance our desire for maximal liberty with equality so that our religious faith is protected from the pressure of football coaches and players, for instance. Now, the Supreme Court has done a lot to mess up our sense of religious freedom, but they aren't the only ones. For many of us who consider ourselves religious, right, whether it be Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever, whatever, right? What have you. We are constantly having to navigate both of those working definitions of religion. And the same applies to our religious traditions. As a Christian, the media has constantly referred to these court cases as wins for Christianity. And yet each one has been at the expense of people just like me, or people in my congregation. People whose sincerely held religious beliefs are being violated as Christians by other Christians. This is clearly not a win for Christianity. It is not greater religious freedom. But guess who wins? every time a journalist calls it that. Okay. So the plan was to start working on some lighter fare this summer. You know, about vacation tips or something. Take the show in a more breezy direction for a little while. But stuff just keeps coming. So here we are, talking about freedom again. I promise you this will be coming soon. We just have some stuff to take care of first. But fear not, this junk is tough, but so are we. So we can rise to the moment. Honestly, you know, I was planning to take some time off this summer, but we'll see. Maybe just a couple weeks. Who knows? We're all making this up as we go along anyway. Please check out my video series on YouTube called Problem in the Text. In it, I explore an upcoming gospel passage from the lectionary. So if that's something you might be interested in, you can find a link in the show notes or look for it on my website. Also visit drewdowns.net for new articles, sign up for the newsletter, and if you haven't yet, Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite player. Don't forget the five-star review. Thanks for listening to Make Saints, because eternal life is hard, and we could use all the help we can get. Be well, and we'll be back next week.